You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications. And joining us this week is Kent Backus. Kent, as you know, is our Director of International Trade and Market Access. Kent, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, happy Fourth of July, Ed. Thank you very much. And and Kent, we're not going to lie to our loyal listeners out there. We, 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 we would never lie to our listeners. Um, we're not only doing the podcast now, um, we're also, well, we're drinking. <laughs> it, it, uh, the 4th of July weekend has officially begun here. Uh, it's after hours. I guess it's not so much a weekend since the 4th falls on a Wednesday this year. Um, but the 4th of July, Independence Day, holiday, midweek break, whatever you want to call it. Um, and and we're, we're drinking for a couple of reasons. We're drinking some fine Wood, Woodford Reserve bourbon from the great Commonwealth of Kentucky. Um, we're toasting America. We're celebrating the 4th of July and our independence and our freedom. But the main reason, to be frank, um, literally, um, that we're drinking here uh, is because we are about to talk trade policy. And when you talk U.S. trade policy in July of 2018, well, honestly, that can lead a man to drink, can it, Kent? Well, you know, in this situation, you know, beef and unfortunately bourbon are also in the same boat. Uh, when, when you look at tariffs, we're targets. Uh, yeah, and so just to back up a little bit, last Sunday, uh, July 1st, uh, Canada imposed new tariffs on a, a wide variety of American-produced goods, um, including bourbon. So Woodford Reserve is going to be more expensive to sell in Canada now than it was last week. And, and some U.S. beef products are going to be now uh, more expensive to sell. I think the tariffs on both are now 10%, whereas before they were zero. How did we get into this situation, and um, what's it going to mean uh, for the beef industry and for you know a lot of other American manufacturers and producers? Well, unfortunately, we are the direct victims of trade retaliation. Uh, when the Department of Commerce moved forward with retaliatory tariffs on steel and aluminum imports from Canada, uh, the Canadian government said, okay, if this goes forward, if we don't get some kind of reprieve, some, you know, if we don't get some kind of waiver, then you know, we're going to come after a lot of, of products in states where we know this will be politically sensitive. Kentucky, obviously the state of Senator Mitch McConnell, the majority leader. And then when you look at beef, we produce beef in all 50 states. So we're, we're going to cover a large, uh, a large gap there. Uh, when you look at the tariff specifically, as you said, it's a 10% tariff on a, on a few different products. For beef specifically, it's on prepared products and preserved products. So last year under those two tariff lines, we sold about $170 million worth just in, the, in those products. When you look at our overall sales, we're around $800 million. Well, that's a small part. It's still a very significant part of what we sold. And that covers everything from beef jerky to meat you'll find in, in other prepared meals. So, you know, it's a tough situation for us. 10% is not a lot. But when you consider the fact that the, uh, the exchange rate of the U.S. dollar versus the Canadian dollar, our exports are much more expensive because the dollar is much, much stronger. That's just basic economy, you know, basic economics. And when our product becomes more expensive, we become less competitive. Now there's essentially a 10% markup on the importers of our products. So there's a, there's a disincentive to buy American. If the whole point is to buy American, this is not really going about the right way. You know, so while it may be some short-term victories for steel and aluminum industry, and we hope that that's the case, you know, unfortunately, it's the beef producers and the bourbon distillers that are going to face a big, uh, you know, a big part of the retaliation there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Have a sip of bourbon. Thanks. Cheers. Okay, now, um, the new 10% tariff in Canada on U.S. beef and a lot of other products um, is a problem going forward, and it can escalate, obviously. Um, a larger jump in tariff is also taking place this week on Friday. Um, China is scheduled to raise its tariff uh, on U.S. imported beef from 12% to 37%. That's a 25-point markup, basically tripling the tariff on U.S. beef. Of course, literally one year ago this week, we were you and I were both in China to celebrate uh, the return of U.S. beef to, uh, to mainland China for the first time in about 13 years. We're just starting to make some inroads there, and then all of a sudden, pow, they're tripling the tariff a year later. So the situation seems a lot different now than it was then. What kind of impact is this going to make on our ability to um, get, you know, a greater market, sh market share there. We're competing with the Australians, of course, um, for market share in China. Well, you know, we're just starting to make the inroads into the grain-finished beef market, and that's a very small market in comparison to the other beef that they import. But countries like Australia and Canada have already started building that demand, and we're essentially trying to take their market share away from them. And we were doing a pretty good job at it. We have a very good product. It's a, it was very competitive. We're a little more expensive just because of the cost of production. But, you know, when you look at all of this, you know, we were growing at a steady pace. We went from zero to 30 million in just six months. The U.S. Meat Export Federation predicted that we were going to grow to 70 million in sales this year alone in 2018. And within the next, you know, three to four years, our sales could reach up to 400 million. And that's with all of those restrictions on hormones and beta agonists and traceability, all of those things included, it was still going to be a pretty significant market for us. I think the scary part uh, for us is that, you know, it, what would happen, you know, what could we do into China if we didn't have these restrictions in place? And the Meat Export Federation estimates that our sales could reach $4 billion, $4 billion annually in the, the next five years or so. That's huge. Last year, we exported $7 billion total. <laughs> and now we're, we're talking about a market with that much potential. But we're not going to be able to realize that as long as we're going to be in the middle of this tit-for-tat on tariffs. Now, keep in mind, the whole reason why this situation is moving forward anyway is because the U.S. is finally holding China accountable on uh, you know, intellectual property. And so we're looking at, you know, $34 billion in tariffs going into effect, or I'm sorry, tariffs on $34 billion worth of products going into effect this Friday, another $16 billion to be announced later this year. But in this first round of retaliation, beef is on that list. Beef is on China's list. So keep in mind, this is a tariff on importers, which means there's no incentive to buy a product that's going to be marked up almost 50%. When you look at all the tariff rates that will be in there, there's no incentive to buy that product and source it anymore. Where you can get it for much less cheaper from other places. That doesn't mean the quality and the quantity is going to be as, as readily available, but why would you risk it? And we've already seen a couple of shiploads of beef turned around before these tariffs have even gone into place. So there are real-world implications for U.S. exports with all of this trade policy. And so, you know, we have asked the administration to really focus on trying to open these markets, to focus their efforts there. Uh, we don't know what the long-term plan on this is. It looks like escalation would be, you know, it is possible. 
and the way things have been trending lately, it's it's probably going to continue to go that way. And that means that more U.S. products will be targeted for retaliation. Yeah, at the end of the day, we need both of these countries to come together. We need our country and, and the Chinese government to, to come and find a way that both of our economies can mutually benefit in the long term. Because the future of our economies are intertwined, whether we want to or not. We're two of the biggest economies in the world. We have... We definitely have the economic superiority, but they have the population and the growing middle class uh, customer base. We can either work to secure our presence in that market, a long-term presence, or we can continue to see what future market share we would have to countries like Brazil, Australia, potentially Argentina, Europe, all of these other countries that China is striking trade agreements with. So this is a very important time for us. Right. And uh, also another reason that it's a very important time closer to home is last Sunday, Mexico held its presidential election. Um, that was always one of the, the, the wild cards in the NAFTA renegotiation and the talks. How did that election turn out? And what might that mean? What might the new president of Mexico mean when it comes to NAFTA renegotiation, getting all of that wrapped up uh, with, 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 with Mexico and Canada, of course, as well? So the, the gentleman who won the election there, is, his last name's Obrador. Uh, he has several names, so they call him AMLO for short. Uh, and I won't, I won't pretend to butcher the Spanish language, so I'll just leave it at AMLO. Um, anyways, he ran on a platform of anti-corruption. He was going to fight all the government corruption that the previous administration was notorious for. Uh, he was going to go after the violence, the cartels, things like that, bring security to Mexico. But in a lot of ways, he's also running a very nationalist policy, much like President Trump did, you know, to get a lot of favor here. So there are a lot of people that say that he's the counterpart to President Trump. And he has been very strong in his messaging on NAFTA. Now, lately, he's come out, come a little more to the middle. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that they want to necessarily walk away from NAFTA. They realize the value of foreign investment in the Mexican market and the positive benefits of working with the United States. But anytime you bring in a new politician, they're going to want to put their stamp on trade agreements. Case in point, look at President Trump. We had TPP. that was ready to go. And, and he campaigns of, well, it wasn't good enough because I didn't negotiate it, essentially. So we walked away from it. We look at the Korea agreement. We look at NAFTA, all these things that President Trump wants to put his stamp on. And that's perfectly fine. That is within his, uh, you know, his authority as president to, to be involved in those things. Uh, why would we expect anything different from Mexico? Uh, when you look at what AMLO has, has run on, he's talked about increasing wages, you know, increasing all of these benefits from Mexico. He's going to want to put his stamp on this. So that means that while we may have made some progress on negotiations, this estimation of trying to wrap up negotiations by Labor Day uh, has seemed to, uh, while it's still a possibility, it seemed to have shifted. Uh, President Trump's even alluded to the fact that uh, it's more likely that this will be either end of the year or in next or into next year before we can see a conclusion of these negotiations. Uh, you know, the, the downside for that for us is that we will continue to delay other important trade agreements instead of focusing on the bilateral trade agreement with Japan or getting back into TPP 
or securing trade agreements with all the other TPP countries if the United States chooses not to rejoin TPP. Instead of doing that, we're going to be focused on NAFTA, which for the beef industry has been a tremendous trade agreement. Meanwhile, all of our competitors, including Mexico, are negotiating agreements with each other. That puts us at a significant disadvantage. At the end of the, at the, end of the day, we have to have market access to remain competitive. We are selling more beef in the United States than we could ever imagine, but pork and poultry production are up as well. And a lot of the cuts that we don't necessarily sell here at a premium, we are selling at a premium in all these other markets. We have to have market-based, science-based trade to make sure that those markets are sustainable in the long term. Absolutely. And I know you're going to continue to make uh, our producers' voices heard on the hills, uh, on on Capitol Hill and in the halls of uh, this administration. And I would just urge our listeners, if you care about free trade, if you think that your access to foreign markets is being jeopardized, and it is, um, reach out to your members of Congress. They can raise this with the president personally. There are things that Congress can do as an institution um, to protect access to these markets and to keep a trade war from escalating further than it already has. Yeah, I think one important point to remember here is that tariffs are a tax on the consumer. When we put tariffs on another country, we are taxing our own consumers. And ultimately, it's our producers, it's our consumers who will pay that price. And, you know, there's been talk about, you know, finding a way for USDA to have some kind of safety net or subsidy, some way to to take care of all of us in the short term. Well, that's the last thing we want is more government intervention, be perfectly honest. Some of the scariest phrases you'll ever hear, one of them in particular is, you know, that uh, you never want to hear, I'm from the federal government and I'm here to help. And while Secretary Perdue is probably one of the best secretaries we could have ever asked for, this is not a policy path that we need to move, that we need to move forward with. Because we don't want to keep circulating our own wealth here in the United States. We want to bring all of those foreign purchases, all that foreign wealth back into our rural communities and grow that demand and, and allow our rural communities to thrive. Uh, if, if we're going to go this path where we need federal intervention just to keep us you know, in the black, um, then that's not an incentive for anyone to get into agriculture or to stay into agriculture. And ultimately, it'll be the American taxpayers that have to foot the bill for this. That's the last thing we need. We need to access these foreign consumers, and we need it now. Absolutely. Kent Backus, thank you again for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your bourbon and the holiday weekend, and uh, come visit us again. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at beefusa.org, and follow us on Twitter at, at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.